So here's the thing with Aaron Carter. I'm not shocked that he bought the farm. Dude has been kind of a mess his whole life. Frankly, I'm shocked that he made it this far. But he died in a bathtub, which is the same way that Jim Morrison from The Doors died. And maybe that makes Aaron Carter this generation's Jim Morrison. And if that doesn't ruin your day right up top, I have a whole lot of episode left. Welcome to the Atomic Skull Podcast, you guys. My name is not Aaron Carter. I haven't actually taken a bath in years. I take showers. I hope everybody's doing well out there. I have been realizing that I want this show to be nothing if not educational. It's probably a little closer to nothing than it is educational, but I want to change that today. I want to hip you guys to something that I didn't know about at all. And then this week, I've heard about it twice, okay? Two times. It's called rectorethral fistula. Rectorethral fistula. I don't know. I feel like I'm putting the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable. Before I tell you what it is, I want to give you guys the good news and the bad news. The good news is, apparently, it's extremely rare. The bad news is that it has happened enough to where it needs to be named. Rectorethral fistula, it's a condition where, how do I put this? Basically, the lines are crossed in a gentleman's plumbing, and he pisses feces and comes out of his ass, which already is just not the business. But I'm a genetic freak, and I'm not normal. So I'm sorry to say that my first thought when I heard about this condition was, oh my god, I'm, I feel like I need to just apologize to my mother-in-law every single episode from now on. Maybe I'll just make that part of how I end the show. The first thing that came to my mind was, let's say that a gentleman with this very unfortunate condition is, you know, baking their partner's potato, right? Taking their partner on a guided tour of pound town, parking the beef bus in the garage, doing the nasty. I think you understand what I'm saying. And the end of the proceedings is is near. It's coming up, right? And the gentleman's partner says, come on my face. Think about what that poor man would have to do to make that happen. Think about the pose, the position. And when you start thinking about that, that is, no pun, the funniest shit that has ever crossed my mind, at least in a little while. Let me catch you guys back up on my actual Halloween proper because last episode came out on Halloween and, uh, you know, I was just catching you up on my gay fun the weekend before Halloween. So my actual Halloween night was pretty low key. My house is decorated for Halloween year round. I'm one of those nerds. So I didn't really have to do much. I turned the lights a little darker and I lit a few more candles than usual. I did a couple of trick-or-treaters, and as I say that out loud, I immediately realize how awful that sounds, so I should probably rephrase that. That's not like a 2022 woke type thing. I feel like that sentence 
on its own is unacceptable in every modern era. This is what I did. I handed out candy to a couple of trick-or-treaters on Halloween night in a very wholesome, family-friendly type of way. I handed out good candy too. That's very important. You want to know the right first date questions to really get to know someone in a way that actually matters? Here are the three questions that you need to ask. First, what kind of candy do you give out on Halloween? If they tell you that they give out those hard candies that look like they were the shits your grandparents would get from their grandparents' house, that is an immediate deal breaker. But on the other hand, if they tell you that they give out full-size candy bars on Halloween, that's no good either. My next question after that would be, why are you trying so hard to impress children you've never met? Aside from those two particular polar opposite ends of the spectrum, the rest is a judgment call. I got a bag that had peanut butter cups, Twix, Kit Kat, Reese's Pieces, and Hershey's. It did also have Twizzlers, which aren't my favorite, but I wouldn't kick a Twizzler out of bed. The second question to ask on the first date, how well do you treat and tip your servers? I will literally fucking go to war over this question. Have you all, like me, had someone that you were interested in until you found out that they undertipped? You could tell me that your sexual fetish is killing orphan baby penguins. And if you have tattoos and can make me laugh, I will look the other way. But if I find out that you under tip servers, there would be no daddy issues big enough for that to not be an immediate deal breaker. Now the third question, and this one is the most important, it is a Mary fuck kill. Depending on what kind of equipment you're into, you wanna hit them with these. Mary fuck kill, Pete Davidson, Adam Levine, and MGK. Or if they're going the other direction, the Sanderson sisters from Hocus Pocus. Halloween was the first day of my new gig at the sex place, which is such a me thing to say. Uh, first, I just want to say I'm an extremely sex positive person, and I'm not often one to judge, but you would be amazed at the number of people who are showing up to the sex shop early, like really early. You can't fucking wait until after lunch. Nobody needs a flashlight at 11.15 in the morning, which I guess that counts as a hot take. Is that a hot take? I think it's more of a judgment call than a hot take, but it also happens to be true. Certain things are better experienced the later it is in the day, including but not limited to purchasing dildos, listening to Tom Waits, and eating at the Waffle House. I have learned so much about sex toys, you guys. Holy shit. And my fun dildo fact of the week. There is a toy called a Lush, which I knew about. You control it with an app. You can control the vibration, turning it on and off, and the intensity of it with an app while it is in use. What you can also do, and this I did not know, is you can attach it to your Spotify, and you can play a song in Spotify, and it will vibrate to the song while it is in use. And you can essentially play name that tune, or that's how I was taught. I want to fucking 
put on death metal and fucking send some bitch to the hospital. I have to admit that it's kind of tougher than I thought it was. I've been getting trained this whole last week and it's really been kind of difficult to like learn so many brand new things all at once while I'm also trying to unlearn things that I've been doing for like over a decade. I like to pride myself on being a patient person. And I am a lot of the time, but I have a very nasty streak of impatience just below the surface. You can ask my beautiful wife, Mrs. What's-Her-Name. I'm trying really hard to work on that, but I also feel like that's one of those things that's always kind of going to be there. And I can't really stop it. I can only hope to contain it. I want to like... I want to be amazing right out of the gate with this job, and I'm not. Like, I'm doing fine, and I fucking hate that word. You see what I mean about being impatient? Even I'm internally yelling at me right now to give myself some time to learn everything and soak it all in, and I understand how completely unreasonable I'm being, and I don't fucking care. Please send help. And when I say send help, I mean tequila. Please send me tequila. It has been a rough week, but I did make it, and it ended pretty well. I'm looking forward to next week. Obviously, I'm going to be keeping you guys updated. I'm, so I'm going to sail into some choppy waters here, but, you know, stay with me. Mansplaining is definitely a thing, right? Have you ever even known someone that doesn't think mansplaining exists or like doesn't think that it's a problem. I think mansplaining is one of those terms that has, for lack of a better term, enjoyed some crossover success. Mansplaining is maybe the only term in the English language where the definition is also an example. Men as a whole should never explain to someone what mansplaining is, no matter what the situation. It's like going to a BLM rally. Why do I feel like everyone listening to this all of a sudden clenched their butthole up a little for one reason or another? Relax your balls, you guys. I'm, I'm going to keep it really light here. It's like a white person trying to lead a speech at a BLM rally. You might truly, genuinely mean well, but maybe in this particular circumstance, leave the talking to someone who has a little bit more of a personal history in this situation. My point is, Mansplaining is definitely a thing. It is toxic and it is supercilious. Meanwhile, most of the people training me have been women. And I actually prefer it that way. Women, I found, tend to be much more patient teachers because, ironically, they often have to explain things to men multiple times. And I know that might sound like I'm kissing some estrogen ass here, but what is the female version of mansplaining? Am I allowed to say that's a thing? I don't think I'm allowed to do that. I have a couple of pretty hardcore feminist friends who legitimately would and could whoop my ass just for asking that question. But hear me out. The condescending way I was getting trained was insane. No matter how many times I would tell the women training me that I have literally worked in some form of retail pretty much my whole life, I was getting hit with like a, and when we have them buy another product, we suggest to them that's called upselling. When we show them the most expensive items first and work our way down to the least expensive items, 
We call that top-down selling. You might be thinking that it isn't the same because they're women. They're not doing it because of their gender. But also, I've been told several times by multiple associates in that store that men are really simple and all the same so they don't take as long to help as women usually do, which, first of all, I hear no lies there. They're not wrong. But also, I know they're not talking about me. I fucking wish I was simple. I would fucking give anything to be simple. So I don't take that as a personal slight. So after hearing that, though, it makes me wonder why I'm being talked to that way. And if anyone out there listening is somehow thinking that men deserve to feel that way more often, the world isn't getting any better because you're doing something to someone else that you wouldn't like being done to you. Your kindergarten teacher would be so mad at you for that. All right, hang on, you guys. Let me check my notes really quick before I move on. Piss off my male listeners by agreeing that men can sometimes be stupid and boring. Piss off my female listeners by comparing their maturity to five-year-olds just because they have an opinion. All right, you guys, mission accomplished. To all my non-binary listeners out there, it is just you and me now, and y'all are great. I do have a question for you guys before I move on from this whole new job thing. And this is going to be the gold star question for the week, but it's going to be a very different kind of gold star question. The company that I'm working for has a very strict, no smart devices policy on the sales floor. This includes smartphones and smartwatches. Everybody working is strictly prohibited to have them on your person and they must be left on the break room. They want that because one, it protects the privacy of both the product and the customer shopping in the store, which I completely understand. Two, having cell phones kind of hinders productivity because people are always on their phone, which I also completely understand that. My side of it is I would like to at least have my smartwatch on me, if not my phone, so that if there is an emergency with my beautiful wife, Mrs. What's-Her-Name, or maybe my family, her family, something, I would like to be able to be informed that there is an emergency so that I can handle it appropriately. Also, my alarm system on where I live, it comes through my phone. They have to call me before they can call the police. The average break-in in a home takes eight minutes. And if my phone is sitting in a break room for several hours with me not checking it, what is the point of even having the monitoring system? And I can't keep track of my steps. I can't keep track of my health while the watch isn't on me. There's no way that I can communicate with the outside world. And for some reason, that kind of bothers me. But also, I have gotten so many people who tell me that I'm tied to my phone too much. So I don't really know where to put my feelings on that. I want to hear your guys' opinion. Do you think that policy is archaic or do you kind of agree with it? Reach out to me, slide into my DMs, Atomic Skull Podcast at gmail.com, at Atomic Skull Podcast on Instagram shoot me a text to do whatever you guys know how to get a hold of me you guys have been amazingly good at it i really want to hear your opinion on this one because i am 100 percent torn oh my god do you guys want to know something 
that is kind of adorable and awesome, but also that you'll immediately wish you didn't know. I see a bunch of older couples that come into the store when I'm working, like a legit huge amount of them. And I am talking old, like free piece of pie on Wednesday at the Village Inn level old. And they're buying stuff that I wouldn't even know how to use. The person who was training me at the time rang out an older couple for some stuff that I'm not even going to talk about with you guys. You're welcome. And they asked the couple if they needed lube. And the lady said, with confidence, mind you, quote, no thank you, no issues in that department. And they both giggled. So that's like goals, right? But that's also not goals at all. (laughs) And you guys know that now. And there's nothing you can do to not know that. Please tell your friends about my podcast. (laughs) Moving on, I wanted to do something special in the spirit of Halloween that I didn't end up having time to do last week, but I really, really liked the idea. So I want to see how it floats. Uh, I may have said last week, I'm not much of a creepypasta guy. Scary stories are just that. They're stories. You want to hear something actually scary? On Halloween, I fucking ate a McRib. That is scary. But I do want to share with you guys two researchable, true stories, and I do legitimately hope you research them, that I am choosing specifically to try to give you the heebie-jeebies in one way or another. And I want to give you a warning. This is going to get dark. So if you are eating lunch or any kind of snack, I might recommend putting that down, particularly before we get to the first story, because it's a little rough. All right, so we're going we're gonna to see how this goes. I want to tell you guys two stories, okay? Story number one is about serial killer Albert Fish. Albert Fish was a serial child murderer, pedophile, and cannibal who was confirmed to have operated between 1924 and 1928. He would torture, kill, and eat his victims. After the children would go missing, Fish even went as far as writing letters to the parents of his victims, describing in lurid graphic detail specifically how he would kidnap them, hold them hostage, torture, and ultimately eat them. I'm not going to read you the letters he wrote to the parents, but if you do want to go that extra mile, Google Albert Fish's letter to the parents of Grace Budd. It will ruin your day. After Fish was arrested and given a psych evaluation, Fish revealed that he was a masochist and he liked to inflict harm on himself as a form of sexual gratification. He would soak cotton balls in gasoline, insert them halfway into his rectum, and light them on fire. He would eat his own feces and burn himself with irons and hot pokers. He would beat himself with a wooden paddle that he had fashioned himself that had nails coming out of it. And then when he was examined by a prison physician, 
it was discovered he had 29 needles in his pelvis that he had over the years inserted into various areas in, on, and around his scrotum and his anus. And he inserted them so far that he wasn't able to pull them out. So he left them in there. All right, I think now might be as good a time as any for a Star Trek The Next Generation fact as a palate cleanser. The suits in Star Trek The Next Generation for the first several seasons were one-piece spandex suits that were very painful and smelled terrible. So starting in season three, the entire cast switched to wool suits and they also very mercifully created two-piece uniforms for the cast that were wool and much more comfortable. Only Marina Surtees and Gates McFadden, the two female main characters of Star Trek The Next Generation, remained in one-piece uniforms because they were more form-fitting. Make sure and include that whenever you slide into someone's Tinder DMs. The second story is about the 2004 disappearance of 21-year-old nursing student Maura Murray. Three months before her disappearance, Murray had been caught and admitted to making purchases with a stolen credit card. Her co-workers and supervisor at her on-campus security job at the University of Massachusetts Amherst, where she attended, reported that her behavior became extremely erratic. Either she would break down crying with no explanation or completely zone out and ignore everyone as if they weren't there. Just a few days before her disappearance, she got into a car accident that nearly totaled her father's car. On February 9th, 2004, the afternoon that Murray disappeared, she emailed her boss, telling him she had to leave town for a week due to a death in her family. Only, according to her family, there were no actual deaths. Murray packed many of her belongings into boxes literally overnight and took all of the art and photos off of the walls of her dorm for reasons that to this day are still unclear. Despite the immediate packing, all she took with her when she left was a small bag of clothes, her purse, identification, and some personal items. She left campus that afternoon with no evidence of any intended destination. She withdrew $240 from her bank account and stopped by a liquor store and picked up several bottles of alcohol on the way out of town. She was confirmed to have been alone when she made the purchase. At 7.27 p.m., there was a car accident reported alongside Route 112 in Woodsville, New Hampshire. A bus driver saw a car that was crashed on the side of the road into a snowbank during a heavy snowstorm. The girl who was standing near the car, which was later confirmed to be the black sedan that Murray drove off of campus, pleaded to the driver to not call the police. She said that she had already called AAA. The bus driver ended up calling the police anyway because he knew there was no cell service on the road. 20 minutes later, when the police arrived at the vehicle, Murray, her personal items, and the alcohol she purchased were gone. There has since been zero evidence, zero leads, or any trace of where she may have gone 
or what may have happened to her, and the investigation is currently labeled as cold. Here is where things get really creepy. Murray's family never accepted the story that she just disappeared. They believe she was abducted. Her father at a press conference where they offered a reward for clues to her whereabouts referred to her possible abductor as a, quote, dirt bag. On the eight-year anniversary of Maura Murray's disappearance, a mysterious video was uploaded to YouTube by an account with the username Mr. 112 Dirtbag. 112 being a reference to the New Hampshire highway route where Murray went missing. The video, which lasts just over a minute, depicts an aging, balding man with glasses in a dimly lit room in front of a white wall maniacally laughing at the camera for 50 seconds, nearly without blinking at all. Suddenly, the man stops laughing and winks as a title card appears on the screen that reads, Happy Anniversary. The video was taken down by authorities after being discovered, and the man in the video was investigated, but the police could find no evidence linking him to Murray's disappearance. To this day, neither she nor her remains have ever been found, but the video still exists and can be watched by those who search for it hard enough. If you're in the mood to give yourself a little bit of a creeptacular, Google 112 Dirtbag. From there, the video will not be difficult to find. Let's move on, you guys, to the best and worst of the week. The best of the week is gotta be the final episodes of Unsolved Mysteries that were released on Netflix. They really do the whole nostalgia, moving forward balance correctly. I can't think of anything else that has done it as good as Unsolved Mysteries. The episodes really do have the feel of the old school stuff with Robert Stack, but with this huge upgrade. I want to do a very quick breakdown of the three newest episodes that were just released this last week. And like I did before, I'm going to do my best to not spoil the stories, but I have to talk about them because the episodes continue to be so damn good. The first episode that was released about the nice man who died in the boat. I have two questions that will be hard to ask without giving everything away. The first question, when the family saw the way that dude tied the rope on Memorial Day, why didn't one of them take a picture? It was 2013. 2013 it was like 2013 it was the year that kanye and kim started dating miley released wrecking ball game of thrones had the red wedding this wasn't ancient history someone had to have their fucking phone why didn't anybody take a picture of it second question and i'm just gonna leave this out there why didn't the police luminol the second boat i want to have a talk with every single person at that police department's mother. The episode after that was the ghost episode that ended up becoming something else. I have realized that I am a hardcore skeptic, but despite that, I do love a good ghost story. And this was definitely that. It was good enough to where I didn't start like poking holes in it or trying to find logical explanations. I just watched it. I will say I did call very, very early in the episode that the lady who was living in that apartment was going to go all crazy, turquoise, crystal, hippy-dippy, 
Some people are just more in tune to getting otherworldly visitors, and she sure as shit did that. She went full-on Sedona with that one. But otherwise, ghost stories are like getting a lap dance for a stripper. Don't overthink it. Don't assume the stripper actually likes you. She doesn't. Don't assume that you can take her home. You can't. Just sit back and enjoy the ride. Literally. (laughs) Am I funny or what? Oh, someone please kill me. The third episode, I don't remember the name of it. It was the one where the children were abducted by a parent. I think it was called Nick Cannon's Worst Nightmare. To quote the legendary Ed McDonough from the 1980s classic Raising Arizona. That man's got more than he can handle. I'm steering this whole thing in a different direction. I'm steering it towards Nick Cannon because there was no way to make that children abduction episode funny. That episode was a pisser. Now, the worst of the week, I got sent an article a few days ago that is an emotional roller coaster. And there's no good guy in this story. Usually when there's a story that has two opposing sides, the first thing that we do as people is find a side that we agree with, whether we're sympathizing or using our moral compass. For those of you who have one, we're choosing a side. Think about like Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. Watch out while I shoehorn that reference way after it's relevant so I can talk about it a little bit. At least it's not a fucking food metaphor, right? But also, the episode isn't over yet, so we'll see what happens. When it came to that trial, we were all picking sides, right? And look, Johnny and Amber, let's just say it, they're both toxic people. They were mutually abusive. So as far as choosing sides goes, that particular part of it was a complete wash. With how public opinion is concerned, it ended up coming down to who is more likable. And the trial reflected that. The entire trial process in America as a whole is based partially around law and precedent, but mostly, just like our lives, it's just fucking theater. The way both of them were acting during the trial was 100% pre-calculated and pre-planned by their attorneys. Every single day in court, Johnny and Amber were both creating an experience, which I'm not a lawyer, but I have watched a shit ton of Law & Order, and I feel like that should be considered prejudicial, but it isn't. Think about it. Johnny was smiling, laughing, charming. He was dressed nice, throwing out jokes. He was doing his absolute best to not just be likable, but to seem likable. And Amber, on the other hand, looked morose, moody, upset, which totally would have been the move if it wasn't shown during the trial how awful of a person she also was. So both the jury and the country did the exact same thing. We sided with the person who looked like they would be the most fun at the bar. Okay, back to the story. Grocery chain Kroger forced to pay $180,000 to settle a religious discrimination lawsuit filed by two former employees who were fired from an Arkansas grocery store for refusing to wear an apron with a heart on it that they thought resembled the colors of the rainbow because they, quote, sincerely believed homosexuality to be a sin. David Hogue, the lawyer for the two fired employees, said in an interview that people 
also, quote, misunderstood his client's position. It wasn't a position of judgment against the LGBTQ community. It was a position of not wanting to endorse the LGBTQ community. Okay. First, religious people calling something a sin sounds a hell of a lot like judgment to me. Unfortunately, I am going to have to defend these two self-righteous turds a little bit. As much as I hate to say it, nobody should be fired for refusing to wear an apron with a particular logo on it. Roll your eyes, give them an apron with no logo, and move on. Fine, live your life hating gay people. Good luck trying to fucking get your hair done or finding clothes that fit you correctly. Meanwhile, during the trial, instead of Kroger talking about how they as a company support the LGBTQ community, they went out of their way to mention in the court filings that the heart logo had nothing to do with any kind of support for the LGBTQ community. And instead, it was part of a new branding that the four colors within the heart logo represented as the four customer promises that they have or some shit. I don't know. I'm paraphrasing the article at this point. In 2019, the human rights campaign did label Kroger as one of the best places to work for the LGBTQ community. But why go out of your way to distance yourself from that? But then why fire people for not wearing it? I don't agree with those two assholes. I don't agree with the company. There is no good guy in this story. And I know that seems like a shitty ass way to end an episode, but it also kind of started shitty. So maybe this is like the shitty episode. I don't know. Maybe that's what I'll call it. I'm going to let you guys go for the week. That is all I've got. Before I get out of here, I'm going to go back to the whole tell your friends about the podcast. Don't tell them that this is a shitty episode. It's the holidays. It's time for expansion. And I'm hoping this year it's going to be a little more podcast listeners as opposed to my waistline. But also with this job change, I'm going to be doing a lot of baking. So I'm not really making any promises on either. Talk to your friends about following me on Instagram at Atomic Skull Podcast. Follow me on Spotify on Apple Podcasts and rate me five stars. I am looking for more five star ratings, you guys. If you haven't done that, please make sure you do that. It would mean the absolute world to me. Right now, the podcast is sitting at five stars, and that is a beautiful thing. I just want to get more of those and compound that so that I can keep going and keep doing this stuff. I am having a blast doing it. I don't even care how tired I am. I'm going to keep going, keep pushing forward. It's so nice to be able to just talk about all this stupid shit that's in my head, and I appreciate so much that you guys are listening and liking it wonderful feedback every single week it means the world to me before i go i need to say r.i.p to take off from migos i hate to say it but i'm not really the biggest fan of migos that whole bad and bougie song just kind of hit me the wrong way but that doesn't make any less of a tragedy the dude was just bowling and playing some dice man he just he just living his life and he just gets shot that fucking sucks dude i do know that takeoff is from georgia and grew up listening to outcast and you know what so did i 
So I am going to use the song of the week to build a bridge, which music is always good at doing. And the song of the week this week is going to be Bombs Over Baghdad by Outkast, my favorite Outkast song. Be sure to listen to that at the Atomic Skull Song of the Week playlist on Spotify. Great shit on there, man. Personally curated by yours truly. I want to say I am sorry to my mother-in-law. And I will see you guys next week. How are you doing? 